Uh, why don't I do something that I'm passionate about? And so I decided to become an inner city missionary, moved from New York City to Philadelphia. Just to, And I have to say, I was blown away. I grew up in what some people would call the hood. It was a working class neighborhood, a really vibrant Caribbean and Hasidic Jewish <laughs> heritage people who had their own yeshivas and their own uh, police system. But we lived pretty much in harmony. And I didn't see the level of violence. I didn't see the level of lack of resourcing and dropout rates at that high. How can this be? How can this country that can give so much public education for free, like literally food stamps, this is not some random city that no one knows of. Like it's filling. Right, right. How could it be this under-resourced? And it truly broke my heart. So right, right. anyway, Yavitz Djurjevic here is Road Less Babble, another episode. Got Cassandra with me here. Um, I know who you are. I know your story. I asked you to be on the podcast. But for folks who don't know who you are, what's the 10,000 foot view? Well, thank you first so much for having me. Uh, your podcast has definitely inspired me to be more of a critical thinker. Uh, I love nerding out. But when I heard that you were a double major, I think it's in economics and politics. I was like, wow, okay. This person is always thinking through a lens that's interesting, no matter what the topic is. So really honored to be here with you today. Uh, for your audience, my name is Cassandra Rose. Yes, that's truly my name. You'd be surprised how many people ask me that question. Um, I'm very lucky that I got to marry a man with a cool last name. And we have a, a puppy, a son, and we're having a great life, thankfully. And I, I give all credit to that to my parents. My parents are Haitian immigrants. They came to the U.S. in the 80s, which was not a great time for immigration, uh, especially for the Haitian population, not knowing the language, not knowing anyone here. And shortly thereafter, I was born. So I am an elder millennial. That's what I go by. That's my identity. Hashtag that up. <laughs> <laughs> I navigate, you know, uh, two different worlds. I navigate the world of understanding that every single thing that I have, I need to be grateful for because it, for the sacrifices of my parents and my ancestors, there go I. Um, and I also have been able to live a privileged life in that I graduated from college when I was 19 years old. I mm. was a missionary, um, which is something that a lot of people can't pursue. I am the head of people at Fringe, a tech startup that supports lifestyle benefits for employees across the U.S. So I know what it's like to literally come from nothing and start all over and watch my parents do that for me. And I know what it's like to feel like you've reached a certain point in your career where anyone else looking on the outside would be like, wow, you're so successful. How did right, you Right, right. So navigating those two spaces. So where a lot of my work uh, is focused on is around benefits advocacy when we think about healthcare. I like to think that healthcare is a human right. You shouldn't have to weigh going to the doctor because you feel ill against having to pay to be seen by that doctor. Uh, many countries don't make you have to question that. Unfortunately, in the U.S., that is a question that comes up a lot. So the majority of Americans actually get their health insurance through their employer. Right. And if their employers are not properly advocating for them, especially when we think about equity in healthcare, uh, underrepresented people, Black people, women, we're not getting the access um, and care that we truly need. We're dying in higher proportions from diseases that are well-known, surgeries that are well-known. Um, I think it's high time that we just make sure that we're holding insurance companies accountable, the entire system accountable, and we can do that through the employee advocacy. 
So that's my story. A lot, a lot I want to unpack there. So, so, uh, first things first, I'm always curious. So you were born in the U S right? I was born in the U S I'm the first person on both sides of my family to be born in the U S. So I wasn't born in the U S I came to the States when I was 10, but maybe, maybe similar experience. We shall see. My vibe that I've gotten from all my friends who are either first generation immigrants or came as kids, because your parents are immigrants, you're basically like an indentured servant (laughs) from the the day you're born. Uh, I'm neither going to confirm nor deny. Tell me more what you're saying and then I can jump into that. Well, what I mean by that is, and again, I've got plenty of anecdotal evidence to, to support this thesis that I've put together over the years, but all my friends who either had immigrant parents or were immigrants themselves. We're doing like all kinds of wild stuff for their families. Like I was translating like mortgage documents at 11. Yes. Like, like yes. um, if, if Comcast went out, okay, when I'm 13, if the cable isn't working, dad ain't calling, I'm calling. Okay. I'm over here negotiating, you know, with Comcast being a savage, mm-hmm. trying to get another <laughs> six months at half off. Okay. That <laughs> that's the life that's the life I, I live. So I'm just I'm just curious. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I then co-signed that statement completely. Um, right. I would say I remember having to uh, be technologically advanced with my VCR because my parents just assumed <laughs> because English was my native tongue, and they reminded me that all the time. Right. That yeah, you must understand anything that's in English. But I'm like, these are documents for like adults, right? Like, right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm still learning the difference between B and D. So right. I've become a translator in so many ways for my parents. And when we talk about immigration in this country, when we talk about language in this country, we have to remember that the scrap of English that someone may know is is uh to me an earmark of their intelligence because not only right. do they know a full other language they also have to do the magic trick of taking in information translating it in their head and then repeating it out back to you in a response right. so it was really frustrating to see my parents be mistreated like they were not intelligent because of the jobs that they held both of my jobs mm-hmm. both of my parents had blue collar jobs um, but they had to start somewhere. My dad was a professor. My mom was a secretary when they were in Haiti. And when they came to this country, it was like, take whatever you can get so you can put clothes on your back and a roof over your head. Um, and what I love that they did for me, in addition to that indentured servitude, is that they constantly reminded me, like, you have so much promise. Sometimes it felt like pressure. I'm not going to lie. Right. right. 100%. <laughs> That's partially why I think I'm so accomplished, because I was like, I can't quit here. Right. Like what I think is hard, they've sacrificed so much more. And that is my internal combustion of why I do the things that I do, why I push where a lot of people would quit. Not because I think I'm great, but it's almost like I have this this debt that I owe, not just to the generation before me, but to the next generation. That is truly the American dream that each generation would do a touch better, if not way better than you did. Ooh, I love that you called it a debt that you owe. I've never actually called it that, but that's such a good articulation of that feeling. That's yeah. that's powerful. Remind me, Haiti is it is the native tongue? Is it Creole? Is it French? Is it correct? It's Creole. The official language is French, but right. most people in Haiti aren't educated. We don't right. have a public school system like you do in the U.S. So there are, and this may be a controversial statement, so feel free, you know, <laughs> to, go to town. just cut this part out uh, and make it go viral. But there's so many times people are like, oh, I hate America. I hate it here. And I'm like, 
you know, the most world travel person, but there are many other places that are better to be quite honest. With right. <laughs> like that, that, you, it, well, it's, it's one of those things where again, in our society, everything's so polarized. Mm-hmm. It's like, Either you fall into the camp because everything has to be clickbait. You either fall into the camp like America is God's gift to the planet and it is the greatest thing that's ever existed and how dare you question anything. Or you fall into the camp of like, this is literally like Nazi Germany. And it's like, (laughs) okay, guys, America can be an incredible place of opportunity where people to this day are still dying to get here, literally dying to get here. And it can have a whole bunch of issues at the same time. Like two things can be true at the same time without your brain exploding. I just you know? want to pass the collection plate to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 because once you fall into one or the other camp, like you eliminate all the, all the, it, like all the realities and all the issues and, and, and all these different things. Like, so like guys, 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 nothing is perfect and nothing is completely evil in this mm-hmm. space. Like use some critical thinking, you know, Correct. think, think through it and you think through like even i'm not an expert on the history of haiti by by any stretch of the imagination so basically for folks that don't know haiti is is uh is one portion of an island so the other side is the dominican republic and uh what's really interesting about haiti so the dominican republic was a spanish colony haiti was a french colony and haiti it's my understanding is the only successful slave rebellion i believe in the 1800s that actually succeeded and led to uh, the people who were enslaved um, having their own country. That's um, pre, pre. Again, I'm not an expert on this history, so but but it's it's a really interesting story in a lot of different ways. And um, well, you want to talk about really crappy foreign policy, like <laughs> the United States and the French basically made sure for a hundred years and then some to punish that country for a successful rebellion. So mm-hmm. if you look at uh, actually a lot of economic policies, a lot of the trade policies, et cetera there was a uh, conspiracy, literally the definition of a conspiracy to keep that country as poor as possible. It's, it's really, really disgusting in a lot of ways. So, but it's, it, it's, it's also interesting to learn uh, when we go back to the whole, you know, there's good, there's bad, there's all these different things. Um, did I mess up any of that or that, did I get? No, wonderful. Uh, the rebellion happened in 1804 before even the civil war right. in this country. Right. So that put a lot of fear into the hearts of slave owners at that time. Because you're looking at a country that had very few resources, not a lot of army training or tactical military assessments, and they were able to overthrow their captors. And to your point, to this day, Haiti is one of the poorest nations in the world. And anytime a, a government comes together that can actually start to pull us up out of that poverty, something bananas happens, like an assassination or like just really deep embedded corruption. And for a time, it will stabilize. But that's why my parents left. They were like, if we have children here, what is their future? Yeah. Yeah. It's that's another thing that I think people don't appreciate about America. Um, The fact that, again, I'm not saying we don't have corruption. Look at corruption. Look at the the magical stock trading bill that was super popular that magically did not get through in the last week. Um, When you when you look at things like that, but generally across the board, this is a functioning society. If there is a law. Mm -hmm it will be generally upheld. That doesn't necessarily mean equally, but it will generally be upheld. If I own property, I have the rights to defend my property in court, et cetera. Whereas in a lot of other places, you know, I, I had to explain to, uh, I think it was my mother-in-law, um, my great-grandfather, when uh, the communists came to power in Yugoslavia, he was casually beheaded. 
and had all his land taken from it. Um, and she was like, well, what do you mean they like took his land? I'm like, they, they took his land. <laughs> she, she was like, it took her a minute to like understand what I was saying. She was like, what do you, he, he owned it. It's like, not anymore. They killed him, mm-hmm. left his nine kids without anything. So it's a, it's a different situation, guys. Um, the other thing I'm curious about is one, the missionary thing. And two, the graduating from college at 19, like you kind of just glazed over the, that. Like that's just a casual everyday thing people do. Oh, most people don't become missionaries and want to just, you know, serve the Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So how that story played out is my dad was a professor in Haiti, and for him, he felt like the U.S. education system was a little soft. I don't agree with that necessarily, but to him, he was always like, you have to be an A student. Like, if there's only two people that can get an A, it's you and someone else. That was his thought process from (laughs) pre-K. That's some foreign dad (laughs) crap if I've ever heard it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you think about it, because the opportunities are so few in Haiti, you right. have to be the best. It wasn't like you're top of your class, like you are the best. And he took that rhythm and made it my rhythm. And he would give me homework on top of homework I already had. So I was reading at an eighth grade level by the second grade. I actually skipped the third grade and then finished college in three years, some of which because I just wanted to go to law school and get to that, you know, career level and be like, here, I did it, dad. See all the things that you're telling me, you have promised, go and deliver. That's really what was my momentum to get through school and, and excel. And I felt very fortunate, but I also felt very burned out to be quite honest with you. So talking about children of immigrants, you know, I feel like we do have to work harder because we are constantly reminded, had it not been, you know, somebody else, this is your opportunity do it. Um, And when I didn't get into law school, it crushed me because I just Mm. spent the last literal 20 years of my conscious life working towards this goal. So that was the first time like I put in the work and I just didn't get the A. I didn't get the acceptance. Um, So I was like, what do I do next? And uh, religion was a huge part of my life growing up. It was our community. It was our safe place. Um, Because growing up in New York City during the 80s and 90s, there was the AIDS epidemic. And for a long time, people blamed Haitian immigration for the rise of AIDS. Interesting. Yeah. So it came to a point where like even my my parents would tell me, you know, tell people you're Canadian because we just don't want that stigma attached to you. And it's it's interesting how many different evolutions we have to make to fit into what we think this country wants from us Mm. without people necessarily dictating that to us. I think now more than ever, we have this like, very uh, polarized place. But even then you're like, oh, I'm free, but I'm free if I fit a certain mold. Right, right, right. I'm free if I show up as a certain type of black person. And we Mm. can get into that, especially in the workspace. So I decided, you know what? Hey, I technically have these two bonus years because I was supposed to graduate college at 22, not 19. Uh, Why don't I do something that I'm passionate about? And so I decided to become an inner city missionary, moved from New York City to Philadelphia, just a mere 90 miles. And I have to say, I was blown away. I grew up in what some people would call the hood. It was a working class neighborhood of really vibrant Caribbean, Jamaican, Trinidadian, Guyanese, and Hasidic Jewish (laughs) heritage people who had their own yeshivas and their own uh, police system. But we lived pretty much in harmony. And I didn't see the level of violence. I didn't see the level of... um, lack of resourcing and dropout rates at that high, that high of a rate until I moved to inner city Philly. And I was like, 
how can this be? How can this country that can give so much public education for free, like literally food stamps, still in this is not some random city that no one knows of. Like it's filling. Right, right. How could it be this under-resourced? And it truly broke my heart. Mm. Um, and so I decided at that time I was going to get a master's of divinity, dedicate my life to the church, become a youth pastor, do all these great things. And guess what happened? My students loans were like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, remember that three-year education you got that you should have gotten four years? Cool, cool. Give me my money back. And so I started temping because I was like, okay, well, I still need to pay off my loans while I figure out my next moves. And almost every assignment that I got, whether it was two weeks or two months, was in human resources. And I was Mm. like, wait, I have a business major, pre-law minor, and I love advocating for people. I can get paid to help people get jobs. I can get paid to help people professionally develop. This is amazing. I never even thought about this discipline as something that actually is a way for me to fuel both of my passions and my academic background. And I've been in the space since. So I've I'm now been practicing HR for about 20 years. Mm. Like I said, the student loans came calling and said, no, you won't. No, you're not. No, you're not. Are you kidding? That's cute. Oh, that's a whole nother just almost criminal endeavor in this country <laughs> is the student loans. But I mean, it's holding a lot of millennials back. And I think that's why Gen Z is bucking the system, right? Like how many of us don't own a home, have not gotten married, have not made major life milestones because we have crushing amounts of debt. I'm very fortunate that I didn't graduate with, you know, six figure loans, but my goodness, right? I literally made a life pivot because of it. It's yeah, it's so interesting. I saw somebody post, I think it was on Instagram. Uh, it was like a news article that said like millennials aren't buying, turns out millennials aren't buying ho- homes cause they can't afford them. And like the comment underneath it was like, what did they think we were doing? <laughs> just, you know, yeah, just on a uh, spring break or something. I don't know. Well, I do, I do look at it. I was talking to my wife about this, um, not too long ago. Cause you know, we live in Nashville, Nashville ain't New York city. It ain't San Francisco, but it sure as hell ain't cheap. Like it's, it's nice and expensive. Um, I'm pretty successful, especially for my age. I don't know how anybody affords anything. I agree. In like, sometimes I look at that and I'm like, how, how, just how, I, I don't know how, I don't know how I would do it. I feel the same way. I was listening to one of your episodes where you're like, milk was $7.59. Right. I remember buying orange juice two for $3. Right. And even my son, who's five years old, we went to the supermarket on Sunday and he was like, mommy, it costs like $1,000. I was like, look, even the, the baby. <laughs> right, right, right. Everybody, everybody gets what? it. <laughs> Say, what is happening? Just to feed your family. I'm not even talking about like bonus things, like going on vacation, just right. living pure life is at a price point that I'm like, if had it not been for, you know, being educated to the level I was educated, having the opportunities to work at Fortune 100 companies and girl, like, I, I, I literally don't know what I would do. Well, it's also, I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. You know, one of the things that happens, especially the older you get, you start to self segregate into people who are of similar economic status mm. as you. Just mm-hmm. simply due to the fact, like, if I want to go on vacation with somebody, like a friend and and his wife and their kids and all, all that, 
Like we got to be able to afford the same thing or the vacation won't be fun. Right. Right. It's just a reality of life. And we were having a discussion about a couple of different things. And I was like, dude, you got to remember, like we are self-segregating purposefully, unintentionally, whatever it may be like the lives we live. Like you just, you just told me you bought a, you know, $800,000 house. That's not normal. (laughs) That's not normal. You're mm-hmm. 33. That's not normal. <laughs> like that that is absolutely insane when you think about like just the 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 landscape of our society. So, you know, sometimes we we catch ourselves in these moments of like, "Oh, I want this or I want that." And it's like, "Do I really need it?" No. No. Do, should I, should I consider it a couple of times? Yes. Should I at least like acknowledge the fact that like this, again, this ain't normal. Yes. Like it's, it's a hard battle to go on back and forth. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think that's really what gentrification, the issue around gentrification comes into effect, right? right? The neighborhood I grew up in where it was untouchable. That's why it was affordable for my right. parents to live in. I couldn't purchase a home when I came onto the market with my husband in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Right. And now we're like, and New York City is, I mean, come on, let's, around the world, everyone's like, I know it's ridiculous. You're paying, you know, thousands of dollars to live in a closet. Right. And how I justify it being a child of New York City is that the city is your living room. The restaurants Mm. are your dining room, right? So yes, I pay for the privilege to be able to play in a landscape that doesn't exist everywhere. It doesn't exist in most places. But when you're telling me I have to pay $500,000 to live in 700 square feet where my parents used to pay maybe 300 bucks right. in a rent control apartment, I can't make those two things exist. And so because of that, I actually had to move out of New York. I currently live in New Jersey, which is like a New Yorker's nightmare, but I'm joking because it's wonderful. <laughs> um, it, Where <laughs> hopes and dreams go to die, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> That's when you know you're an official adult. You're like, oh, okay, I have to like give my fun pass up and go live in the burbs. But I say that to say that even if you want to try to stay within your means, you can be forced out. And right. what people who are coming into that new neighborhood will say will be like, wow, what an amazing find. But it's a loss for so many others that had that neighborhood not existed, where would we have gone? Where could we have grown? And that is what worries me about this country now, that we're getting to a point where it is truly the haves and the have nots. Right. And you have to fight with everything. Take sometimes your kids' dreams of what they want to be and tell them what they need to be to survive. Right. I do find myself incredibly lucky. I I uh I was telling my wife about this probably last week. And I've talked about it before, but I'm I'm just kind of chewing on it more and more and trying to articulate it more and more as I get older. You know, I'm I'm not dismissing that I worked hard in life. I did work hard in life. However, I can pretty much pinpoint the moments in my life where I got incredibly lucky. Mm -hmm. And without those three or four moments, I would be a completely different person today. I completely agree. And I wish more people, again, I'm not dismissing the hard work. At one point I was waking up at three in the morning, you know, starting working, you you know, things like that. I've, I've been in office until nine, 10, 11 at night. I've done all kinds of stuff. Um, I've challenged myself. I've grown. I've gone into uncomfortable situations. However, the positive feedback loop I got from just a couple of those experiences that went my way because of luck that fed into the desire to work hard, mm-hmm. that's, uh, 
that's that's a thought experiment that'll t- set you down a lot of a lot of different pattern paths. But I think that's the story of America. Right. Uh, one of the things that I had a business mentor used to joke with me. He's like, there are more talented people singing the subway than on stages. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. The difference is the opportunities that were afforded to them. Right. And so I think this idea, this myth that if you just work hard, you'll get it. I just told you, I put in all the work. I graduated early. I took the LSATs and I didn't get into the school. Right. That didn't make se- It literally didn't make sense to me. I'm like, I did the thing you told me to. Right. Um, and similar to you, there's many points in my career where I had a sponsor. I had someone who was like, you're better than this role. You can do more. What if I gave you this opportunity to shine and be visible to other right. people here? What if I promoted you? Like, what if I was the person who was like, I want to support a black woman? Had those people not stepped into my situation, would I still be working hard? Yeah. Would I have been appreciative of the 3% increase? Sure. Would I be ahead a of a, a, essentially a chief people officer? No. Yeah. Because I didn't know how to play the game. I didn't know right. the politics. I had parents who literally were like, how are you going to afford college? I was like, I don't know. And we read the FAFSA together. <laughs> Just <laughs> yes, yes. to figure it out, right? But there's people who literally their parents secured a legacy position for them with a donation. That's a whole different world that people are working in. And I think my duty is to always remind myself that there's so many other people that I need to bring along. And that's yes. why my fight for equity is, you know, in everything that I do, whether it's, man, what can we do about these supermarket prices? And help other people because if I'm in shock and technically I can still afford it, I can't imagine someone who has to choose between the milk and whatever snack that they're going to provide their child. What happens when someone like me shows up in the workplace and they don't know what benefits are or 401k is so they don't participate? Right. Right. That's not on them. That's on the system. And that's what I'm after. How can we make the system more equal for all? Man, you just you just said something that just really resonated with me. It's like, how can I get bring people along with me? And I've thought about this. I think so. I love being biggest people's biggest cheerleader. Like, oh, I, I love gassing people up and just like helping them see like what's possible. Um, and I think a lot of that just has to do with again, I had to grow up quicker, so I had to see some things quicker. So it just led me to like. Hey, the things you're going through, I went through five years ago, not because of like I'm special or talented, talented, but just like because life forced me into it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times like I'm out on Pluto with like some of my thoughts like, well, why don't we do this? Um, and somebody says like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, have you ever tried? No. Okay. Well, then you can't answer that question. Let's try it. Let's see. What's the worst that can happen? Um, but yeah, I love I love bringing people along. Uh, because I do feel so lucky in so many different ways. And like, I'm always like trying to just learn, like, what, what are you doing? What's like, you know, what's something interesting? What's something. And what's really interesting is what you said about, you know, somebody showing up and not knowing about 401ks benefits or whatever, and and not participating simply because they're afraid to ask. It's true. And how I learned that lesson is I had a non-traditional path through HR. So I've done almost every discipline I've been a recruiter, done learning and development, did immigration for three years where I literally would take entire teams, their spouses and their children, move them from one continent to another legally through corporate immigration. And I pivoted into benefits. I had medical insurance before and my parents were one of those people like, you're going to work at your job for 40 years. Like, don't leave. (laughs) Don't rock the boat. Don't do anything. You actually got a job. 
hold on to it for dear life. Right. And it wasn't until I was actually in charge of the administration and strategic pieces of benefits where I was like, I have millionaires who are like, can you explain to me what a flexible spending account is? Like I put money pre-tax and use it. And then I had people who this was their first job. They worked in the mailroom with the exact same question. The difference was that millionaire didn't ask me like, oh, by the way, they were like, hey, come up to my office and line by line, explain everything to me. Mm. But the person in the mailroom was scared to raise their hand in a meeting that I was holding. So I was like, if we're both feeling trepidation around this decision-making, again, it's not the person, it's the system. Right. So I got to a point where I was like, I'm going to prioritize educating people no matter what your income level is at this job. And I started being more proactive. And people were like, why are you doing this? I'm like, because no one sat me down and was like, hey, would you like to not eat cat food when you're 60? (laughs) Right. This is how you can assure that you have a legacy that will support you. You don't have to make it your kids. And I think that's some of that indebtedness that we were talking about, right? Like we are our parents' retirement plans for the most part. Preach. You don't have to do that when you can secure a life for yourself, especially if your company is going to invest in you. And what most people don't realize is that after salaries, which is the number one cost on any balance sheet of any company ever in existence and ever will be in existence, the second cost is benefits. They're literally spending millions of dollars making sure that you have medical, dental, vision, life insurance, all of that stuff. So when you're not using it, they're not being optimized. They're not super happy that you didn't take those contributions. They're not, you know, excited that you were like, oh, I can't go to the doctor during the workday because I need to be like super proficient in my job. That that doesn't excite them. They want you to be healthy so you can work longer. You can be happier while you work and do more productive work. It's a win-win situation that a lot of people are being left out of. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I Being a former broker, seeing that world intimately in a lot of ways. I was, I just started a new job not too long ago and I was looking, you know, I like nerd out on the actual premiums and things like that. Mm-hmm. My company, so it's pretty bomb. They pay a hundred percent of everything, which that's a miracle. Hold on. Don't quit that job. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, um, but I was looking at the actual premiums they're paying and it's, I mean, it's just shy of what the median individual income is in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for my family um, that is correct yeah so they're i mean they're throwing some cash around to and they really would in the space that they're in you have to to attract talent right you know what i mean like you, you're not you have to find the talent that is going to get your company to the next level so that they have to offer that because other companies are offering the same thing etc um but then when you look at maybe more blue collar environments when you look at you know, more, um, jobs that are, you know, that, that are just, I'm not trying, I'm, I'm going to say easier to come by, but that's not, I don't mean it in the sense of like easier to get the job, but like, there's just more of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe those companies aren't as incentivized. Maybe they don't need to offer, but hopefully as we're seeing some changes in the labor market and a lot of that power being shifted to the actual worker here recently, um, Maybe there'll be a re-incentivization with a lot of companies like, hey, I gotta, I've gotta treat my people with dignity. I've gotta, I've gotta offer them benefits. I've gotta, you know, offer them this, that, and the other. It's, it's, you know, it's like that. It's like this railroad strike 
or the potential rail, railroad strike, if you actually like go listen to the demands that the railroad workers are making, it's like the most like basic human. I know. Hey, can I, can I please go to the doctor once a month without getting <laughs> fired? Like, please can, can I, can I just do that? Can, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the railroad's like, no. It's like, whoa, whoa, man, chill out. Like, let him go to the doctor. And that's, I, I love the word that you use, dignity. When did we move so far away from that? It's when we made sure that we were optimizing every shareholder value down to the penny. Right. And what I love about this, call it great resignation, call it quiet quitting, call it whatever you want that's super trendy in the marketplace. I think it's just people saying, enough is enough. Like we've done it this way. We've pushed ourselves to every limit. We've worked till nine o'clock in the office. You know, we showed up when we were now called essential workers, but two weeks ago we were greedy for asking for $15 an hour to buy that $7 gallon of milk. Um, When we see those things, it's not this breakdown in people wanting to work. It's like, I just need to live my life in dignity. Mm. I shouldn't have to work two or three jobs to literally just afford my kid being able to go to school and maybe go to soccer practice. I shouldn't have to, you know, compete with my colleague and peer and make them seem incompetent for me to get a promotion to be able just to make a few more dollars per paycheck. That right. that's where we've come to. And so if we can come back to a place of dignity, and to me, dignity means boundaries that like I can take the weekend. Dignity means I can trust my people that if I tell them that they're working remotely, I don't have to also put a program onto their computer to right. you know, count their type strokes during the day. Right. That's dignity. And not only should it be demanded, it should just be honestly given. And I think the companies that do that, that show their um, employees dignity are the ones that are going to win out in the next 10, 20, 50 years. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, kind of go back to the self-selection and self-segregation of social classes. You know, I, I look at myself as like, okay, a young, educated professional. I've got a lot of sway in the marketplace. Like, for example, I ain't come to the office. It ain't happening. If you, got, <laughs> if, if you ain't fully remote, I'm not a candidate for you. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I, I <coughs> excuse me. Um, I mean, that in and itself is a huge privilege in my life to where I don't have to deal with a commute. I don't like when I'm done with work and I want to go play with my baby girl, I walk out of my office. And I go play with my daughter. I was talking to my wife the other day. Hey, you know what? When she's a little bit older, we should get her like a little bitty desk to put next to my desk and she can come work in the office with me. Okay. Like we can, we can have all kinds of fun. Um, and, and, and again, just due to how life works out in a lot of ways, you know, we end up surrounding ourselves with people who are similar to us. Mm -hmm. And then we forget that like, Hey, not every, like some people, like these railroad workers get fired for going to the doctor. When I go to the doctor, I just put it on my calendar out for three hours. Don't talk to me. I'll be back. And nobody says anything. Nobody says a word. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation to to say the least. And my hope is because my parents worked in those environments where you had to put in your vacation requests like six months in advance. Right. right? Like you could be like, um, I'm going to have a mental health day. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that That's the difference. And our parents fought. They literally moved continents for us to have that optionality. Right. And so I think it's on us. It's on everyone who understands what it could have been and are in a better situation to go, how can I do better? 
So that way more people are afforded this opportunity, whether it be the people that I vote into office, the petitions that I can sign, putting out content. Um, that's what I do in terms of like information, both on Instagram, I create reels about like, hey, a benefit that you may not know of or how to actually utilize it, hoping that somebody who just didn't know, wasn't researching, didn't have the HR person, you know, proactively reaching out to them can view that and be like, this is something I can actually use today right. to set me up for a better tomorrow. I'm always curious when I talk to HR people about this specific thing. HR historically has been kind of like a boogeyman <laughs> in a lot of organizations. I personally disagree with that assessment. I've always had great experiences with HR and compliance. I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> like I was buddies with these folks. Um, but generally, historically, stereotypically, HR is like, oh, man, I'm about to get fired. Um, how do you combat that, I don't know, cultural ethos about mm -hmm. HR um, in your workplace? Yeah. So one thing that I usually say is that I'm willing to apologize on behalf of people who've had those experiences because they're not few and far between, unfortunately. They're more common than people think. And that reputation sometimes is well earned. Um, I think about the times with my parents. The only time you ever had to talk to HR was if you got promoted and they give you like a letter and like, I don't know, a piece of cake. <laughs> or you were in trouble. <laughs> Outside of those two things, those two events, they were in this ivory tower over there uh, where people think that all we do is like push paper and like just wait for the next person to get in trouble. Um, and what I would say is what I love about how it's changing, even, you know, the, the term HR is in some ways getting retired and people are using the people team or talent right. team or, you know, people in culture is because it's a return to humanity. Yes, we're getting paid by the employer. So you would think we're always going to be in favor of management or executives or the whims of a boss. But honestly, I love this profession because of the advocacy, because I can talk to a swath of people, whether it be 2,400 employees in 24 different countries, which I've had to support, or 70 employees who are remote and go, mm -hmm. what are the challenges that you're facing today? And how can I use the resources, the authority, the influence that I have to communicate that back up to get you what you need. Mm. I can be that liaison for a company to make sure that they're running well. And I always say that my job is well done when there is no noise, <laughs> where right. people just go to the doctor, where people can take time off and there's nothing. And that's very hard for people to feel appreciated. Um, you know, I, I, I joke all the time. I'm like, when you go to the bathroom and you flush your toilet, no one's like, oh, oh my gosh, toilet, what an amazing job. Thank you for flushing on that 110th time, right? You don't do that. Why? Because you just expect it to work. That is your expectation. That is the minimum. Right. And so the <laughs> only time you would actually ever think about it is if it doesn't work, if you have to call that plumber and pay $200 an hour to figure out what went wrong, mm. right? That is HR's job. And how do you navigate a space where you're literally supporting the most important asset on a balance sheet, the right. people? Correct. And make it that they're so happy that they don't even think you exist. Mm. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever had a toilet analogy <laughs> on this podcast. And it's going to stick with toilet. you for the rest of your life. Yeah, 102nd <laughs> Next flush. Time. You... <laughs> yeah, that 110th flush, you came through again. I appreciate yeah, you. Real MVP over here on the toilet. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what 
you know, as you've become a chief people officer, so you've, you've, you know, like you said, there's obviously been this trajectory throughout your career. And what has just kind of surprised you the most about people? Good, bad, whichever route you want to go down. But mm. I'm always curious about that because you deal with so much, you know, because, you know, some someone who may be an engineer, an electrical engineer, they may deal with as many people in a year at work as you do in two weeks. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question. I would say what's been most surprising is how much people are insecure mm. and what they do and who they are. I've seen it show up in bravado and title. Like, don't you know who I am? Can't you do this for me? Yeah. Right. And I'm like, uh, no. And that's the beauty. If you're that upset, you should call your congressperson because this is an IRS regulation, not a Cassandra Rhodes law. Right. Like, <laughs> let's get it together. We got to withhold your taxes, man. All right. The end. That's it. Like there's there. You, you can't escalate it to the president of the company. And sometimes I've been talking to the president of the company. Mm. Um. And then also seeing people who are just terrified, terrified of being fired, terrified, you know, they're the only one, they're the only female on their team, they're the only black person uh, in their division. And they're just like, I just, I don't want to cause any trouble. But right. guess what? You don't get the best work out of that person because they're so exhausted trying to fit in and not stand out. And so I would say to any person in leadership, just as a people leader, if you see someone who doesn't fit the molds, make sure that you're finding ways to help them, not just incorporate into what you have, but also stand out. Because what it really is, it's not the bravado. Some of those people have egos, but really it's just like, I don't know how to show up in this space and be who I am and feel actually recognized and valued. And so sometimes I'm gonna be the squeaky wheel so that way I feel like I'm getting the thing that I'm lacking. I'm going to be the quiet church mouse and just not cause any waves. And both situations cause cultures that become toxic. Mm. I'm curious about this too. Having immigrant parents that come from a place where there's a lot of corruption, a lot of difficulty, a lot of strife, et cetera. And then coming to America where people live in la la land, a lot of the times, you know, you like, what what I've seen at least in, in 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 my life is you know the immigrants who heads on swivel twenty four seven, and then the suburban kids who are getting robbed and don't even realize that they're getting robbed in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, like bro, somebody pulls a gun on you, like <laughs> give up, give up your crap. <laughs> like <laughs> right. it ain't worth it. Right. Um, and balancing the two were. I did find, especially when I went to college, just how unbelievably naive most of the kids were about like just the realities of life. Like, like if I, like I'm six, three two, like 30 to two forty, I'm a big boy. If I see you in the middle of the street at night, like I'm staring you down until you feel uncomfortable. Cause I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not getting robbed. Like I'm gonna let you know real quick. Like this is gonna, like you try something, this is going to be a battle. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to live. I don't want to live in a state of mind where I've seen a lot of my people end up in where it's like they still don't trust anybody mm -hmm. because of where they come from. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, there's like a happy medium. Like, again, I don't want to be like getting robbed and not realizing it. But I also don't want to be like, oh, man, everybody's trying to screw me over. It's like, no, a lot of people are just genuinely doing like honest business. That doesn't mean there's not like scammers out there. But most people right. are trying to just make money <laughs> in whatever way and provide for their family. So, like, how have you balanced that? 
That's a great question. So to your example of if it's the middle of the night and you're walking down the street, you're going to stare that person down. I'm just going to be like, I'll wait till tomorrow. There's been times <laughs> even in my marriage and I'm married to someone who's 6'3", 250. I'm like, oh man, we don't have milk. And he'll be like, oh, you know what? I'll run, to, run out to the store. And if it's like 8 p.m., I'm like, no, you can wait till tomorrow. Mm. And he's like, why? Because he's from the South. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's just like, there's a, there's a different way of being. Right. Down there versus like Brooklyn, New York, we have three lo- three to five locks on our doors. We had gates on our windows, right? And that's my sense of security, right. knowing that I have armor around me. And I'm like, no, 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 we can wait. And we've literally got to arguments. He's like, why are you so afraid? And I'm like, I didn't even realize that I was bringing fear mm. into the. I thought these were just decisions that were natural. Like, yeah, of course it's nighttime. We'll just wait till tomorrow. Right. Um, but like you said, it's just being able to one know that most people are like you than are not like you. And what I mean is that most people just want to wake up, do something important during their day, come home, watch a little TV, eat dinner and go to bed. That is right. like literally most human beings. We can cover it up with money like and say, oh, I live in this penthouse and I go on these vacations, but we're doing essentially the same thing. And like you said, it is a minority population of people that are evil or scamming and all of that. And if we remember that, that the person sitting next to you on the subway or the manager who's just being belligerent today, for the most part, truly what they want to do is be important, be seen as important and live a life that's hopefully not too complicated. I think we can continue to find the shared human experience in what we do. I love that. All right, we got to, we got to wrap up. We're coming up on time, but you know, we go back to 18 year old you actually not even 18 year old you, because that's unfair. <laughs> like you were like 12 when you went to college, um, you know, fine. We'll still pick 18 because it's, it's a fair number. All right. You're still wide eyed, bushy tailed about the world. You haven't been rejected from your dream law school yet. You know, you're, you're still, you haven't gone and, and been a missionary. You haven't done any of those things yet. Uh, wide eyed, bushy tailed 18 year old you, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing, knowing all that, you knowing, knowing all that, you know about yourself today, What's that one thing? Trust the process. Mm. Don't think that plan A is the only plan you can have. And for a long time, that's how I thought. Like, if it wasn't plan A, then I'm a failure. One or the other. And if you just trust the process, you will end up in places that you could have never dreamed of. I'm on a podcast. This is bananas. (laughs) 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 Who wants to listen to me? Um, And so it's just if you allow life to serve up opportunities and take failures as a redirection, not as a, I'm not a good enough human being. My God, the things that can lay after that moment are, are amazing and great. Just trust the process. Mm, I love that. The whole plan A, plan B, plan C. I can relate to that on a lot of fronts because I wanted to be an attorney and then senior year of college, I decided I don't want to hate my life and <laughs> Fair. canceled my LSAT score. <laughs> Really? You did? I did. I was like, here's the thing. All right. So for anybody listening, my whole life, I was like, I'm going to be an attorney. I'll be an attorney. You know, I got, I got dual degree in economics and political science. It's not the most useful thing in the world unless you go get a graduate degree. Right. Uh, hence how I ended up in sales. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's another podcast where I talk about that. We recorded it last week. Um, that specific story. But anyway, so my whole life, like I'm gonna be an attorney, I'm gonna be an attorney, I'm gonna be an attorney. And, uh, 
I get to my senior year and I'm like, I don't think I want to be an attorney, but I don't really know how to not be one because I've told mm-hmm. everybody I wanted to be one. So I call my dad and my dad's like, don't go to law school. And I was like, I give him this like long spiel and he's like, just don't go to law school. And I was like, I can do that. And he was like, you're 21, bro. Like skip a year. And if you want to go back then, you'll be 22. The world sure. will be all right. I promise. And it was just so liberating. It was just such a simple piece of advice. Um, but it was so liberating because I was like, oh, you're right. I am only 21. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out to be, and, and I'm picking on attorneys here. We need attorneys. Uh, and, and there's a lot of good attorneys who who enjoy their lives and all that. But I would have been miserable. I personally, man, oh, man, was that the right choice? Um, that's not my vibe. You know, because somehow somebody, when I was in seventh grade, told me I'd make a great attorney or whatever it was. And that got into my brain at that age. You know, how much do you change between the age of 12 and 21? My gosh. But I just want to also, this is more evident that children of immigrants tend to take jobs that are historically known. <laughs> right, right, right. Lawyer, doctor, engineer, um, or else we're failures, right? And right. the fact that you are still in a place of advocacy, even in sales, your job is to seek out what someone needs and mm-hmm. see if you have the solution for that problem. Yeah, And as much as you may think that's just you, I think that's also informed by your experiences of coming here, of seeing what life could be without that hard work, that hustle. Oh, it drives me insane. We had a presentation not too long ago. This is still my previous job um, where the feedback to me afterwards was like, you're just so relatable. And this is like a presentation in front of a team. And I'm like, yeah, because like these are just human beings. Like, I'm going to talk to them the same way I'm going to talk to my wife, the same way I'm going to talk to, you know, my friends. Like, I ain't got time to, I ain't got time to pretend I'm somebody else. There's over 200 hours worth of content on the internet where you can hear my voice and know what I'm about. I don't have time to pretend to be somebody else. Um, And I think that's attractive in, in the space that I'm in. Um, because I'm not showing up being like, hey, would you, how would you feel if I told you that you could do this? Well, you would feel like I'm trying to scam you. How about I just say like, hey, here's what I do. Here's how it works. Interested? Yeah. Nah, maybe like need to learn more. Let's chat. So uh, that's a whole nother episode in itself though. It is. And I'm I'm here to listen to it. Uh, how can folks get a hold of you? How can they learn more about you? How can they follow you? How, like give, give the, the shameless plug. Sure. So I go by Miss Cassandra Rose, the letter M, the letter S, and my whole name, Cassandra Rose, across all social media channels. I put most of my content on Instagram and LinkedIn. So if you're listening and want to connect, feel free to reach out to me on those two platforms. She's a linkfluencer, y'all. Out here linkfluencing. <laughs> Hashtag linkfluencer. And I'll, I'll make sure to put all the um, social media and such in the bio and the description below. But um, as always, Thelogoswave.com. Check it out. Info at uh, workwithyav.com if you want to holler at your boy. If you've got constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain. Offer a solution. All right. We don't just complain. We offer solutions. Uh, if you want to be interviewed, if you know somebody who should be interviewed, et cetera. Uh, but outside of that, this was truly a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on the episode and thank you. This was awesome.